15, verse 11. Again, this is a series of three parables. Somebody said one time that this is actually one parable told in three different ways. Um, We're looking at the third part here. I think it has been wrongly labeled, um, especially on Father's Day. I think this parable should be the heart of the Father, the graciousness of the Father, the love of the Father, the kindness of the Father, the seeking Father. But notice what it says in verse 11. It says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property. It says he squandered it in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and he hired um, himself to be one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the, the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, literally when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly his best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Here is the first truth that I believe we need to start with. And if we don't start here... We are going to be in trouble. Let me see if it comes up here. Um, Notice what it says. God reveals his character through his father and our rebellion through the son. I want all of us to start with this as the foundation. I want us to, to look at this story that Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. And I want us to understand He's trying to say something about God's character, about God's love, about God's compassion, about God's mercy, about God's justice, about God's plans for us as his children. He has something that he wants to say to us this morning about who our Heavenly Father is. But he also has something, I believe, to say about our rebellion. If you know anything about these parables, Jesus was really speaking to the Pharisees or he was speaking to the religious leaders. 
And as we will see, he turns the tables, but I think he's trying to say something to all of us this morning about our rebellion. You may say, Mark, I'm not a rebel. And I just would encourage you, listen to this story, listen to the words, and let's see where we're at. So here's what I want to do. I want to highlight five or six of the key phrases, and I would encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to underline it, to highlight it, um, uh, to, to make it a, a part, in, if you're looking online, highlight it there, because I think you need to look at these key phrases, because I think it's making a key revelation about what God wants us to know this morning. So here's the first one. The first one is that this is what a rebel sees. This is what rebellion looks like. Father, give me. Is anybody a last born like me? I don't like the term baby of the family. How many last borns? Come on. Do you know anybody that writes books on birth order? What do they say about us? We are the, we're the best, no, we are the rebels. You know, the firstborns, they're the ones that do everything right and by the rules, and they're usually the favorites, and they're the rule followers, even though we know that's not really true. But the, the lastborn is often the rebel. I mean, my brother and sister all the time said, yeah, 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 Mark, he's getting away with murder. You had rules and regulations for Mark that you didn't have for us. It's just not fair. Here we have a story of two sons, the firstborn and the lastborn. The lastborn is a picture of rebellion. And he shows his rebellion by saying, Father, give me. He reveals the heart of a rebel. The heart of a rebel is not about a relationship. The heart of a rebel is about consumption. It's about what can I get from that relationship, not that I can have a relationship. Consumerism is killing the church today. Consumerism is killing Christians, and it is actually killing Non-Christians. What do you mean by that? I don't see anybody dying because of consumerism. Yes, they are. We live in a world, and you can research this, as consumerism rises, guess what? Mental health issues and depression is also rising. Why? Because we're about consuming people and products, and we're not concerned about a relationship. And a rebel has lost his or her way with their relationship with God. Another way to look at Father, give me, is to look at it as idolatry. You know, I I really don't care about you, God. What I care about is that you will give me what I want or what I think I need. That is rebellion. It's the selfishness, and it's saying... God, I really don't care how you feel about this situation. God, I really care about how I feel in this situation. God, I want it to work out to my advantage and not to your advantage. That is rebellion. You may say, Mark, 
That's not me. Let me just ask you a question. When you pray, how many of your prayers are, Father, give me? Give me prayers. Or are they, Father, thank you prayers? Or are they prayers, Father, not my will be done, your will be done? You see, it's easy to fall into the temptation to have that rebel's heart and to say, Father, give me. Even reading the scripture, what do you read scripture for? To deepen your relationship with God or so that you can have a nugget to survive the day? Why do you read scripture? Is it because you're hoping that God will speak to you and you'll feel special and have an emotional feeling? Or are you reading scripture because you know I'm listening to God's voice when I read scripture? It's tough. Church, why are you here this morning? Are you here because you have a hunger and a thirst for your relationship with your Heavenly Father and you want God to speak to you and you want to worship Him and you want to praise Him and you want to give back to Him and you want to serve Him and you want to be a part of His family and say, yes, God is my Father or you hear about what you can get, how you can feel, how you can survive another day. But notice this. Eventually the rebel will come to their senses. Notice what he says. Father, I have sinned. And it is true. You need to read the context. It says he came to his senses. He came to an understanding that his lack of a relationship with his father was hurting him. Sometimes, and I've worked with, with rebels in the past. I've worked with people who, who say they want to get right, but they really don't. They're just sort of saying the right things, but they really are not acting the right way. And so what ends up happening in those situations, it takes sometimes for them to hit rock bottom. And when they hit rock bottom, sometimes then they come to their senses. And they say that I am powerless over this situation. I can no longer control the circumstances. And this is a great picture of what repentance looks like. All repentance begins with us saying something very similar. Father, I have sinned. Father, I have sinned against you. Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. Father, I have sinned against the church. I have sinned against others that are brothers and sisters in Christ. It comes with a confession. Now, if you're not very familiar with confession, you will know that there's two places that are very important when it comes to confession. One is in the Lord's Prayer. And in some of the chapters in Scripture, after the Lord's Prayer, when it says, Father, <laughs> forgive me of you know, my trespasses or debts, or Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me or who have trespassed against me or have harmed me. But then later, some of the translations, Jesus says something pretty radical. He says, but if you're not willing to forgive others, well, why am I going to forgive you? 
But forgiveness is crucial to restore a relationship, and it requires a confession. And what I have learned over the course of the years is so many of us, we, and I was reading this the other day, so many of us, when something happens to us, especially something bad, we look out the window rather than looking in the mirror. What do I mean by that? We look out the window and we say, well, it's so-and-so's fault or they're responsible, it's their problem, rather than looking in the mirror and saying, where do I take ownership in this? You know, the, so the son could have said, you know, that's all dad's fault. He should have never given me that money in the first place. Or it's my older brother's fault. He was a jerk anyways, and I just sort of wanted to get out of the home, and I didn't want him to get all the money, and so I asked for it. And that, that's looking out the window rather than looking in the mirror, and that's what he did. He looked in the mirror, and he said he was sorry. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now people will debate and they will say, well, his confession isn't really real. How do we know that? They say, oh, he's just trying to manipulate so that he can come back and be a servant at least. How do we know that? That, that Jesus isn't revealing that. What Jesus is revealing is that Confession is the key to restoring a relationship with God. And what we need to see this morning, and this is for some of us maybe who have prodigals, here's what we need to see this morning. The father doesn't say, I told you so. What a jerk. You wasted all my resources. Yeah, you're going to have to pay the consequences. You made your bed, lie in it. He doesn't say any of that. He welcomes them back in. And it is important for us that we come to our senses, sometimes as parents, sometimes as dads, and we welcome the prodigal back when they say, Dad, Mom, friend, whatever, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Here's what I really love, though, about this story is the next few verses. It says, God is looking for you. And it, when he was a long way off, when he was in the distance, and some says when he was really even st still in the distant country and he's coming down the path so far. It reminds me a little bit of my golf game. You know, the other day I was telling you I'm a one-eyed jack. And... Uh, I can hit a golf ball fairly far, but the problem is I put a big banana slice on it. And so when I'm golfing with people, I was golfing with Keith the other day, and I hit the ball, and I was just hitting it so hard and far. No, okay, I'm just joking. But I was hitting it hard and far, and a big slice in it. And with my eye, I can't see very far in the depth. And you know what ends up happening? Sometimes I go looking for a ball, and I never find the ball. Here's what you need to know about God. God is looking for you like a golf ball. And guess what? God finds it all the time. God constantly can find it. He knows exactly where it is. He knows the destination. God is looking for you. And here is what too many prodigals and rebels make the mistake. They say they, they have wandered so far that God has stopped looking. That God has given up. 
And throughout Scripture, Jesus wants us to know that God never, ever, 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 ever stops looking for us. I would encourage you to go to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, basically, David is talking about God saying that if we go up to the heavens, what up? God's there. If we go down to the bottoms of, of earth, guess what? God is there. God is constantly looking, and, it, and later it says, God sees us, and it says he saw us before, and we sung about it this morning, before a single breath. God saw us, and he sees our future. He sees our ending point. God sees it all. God is always looking for us. And whether we're being perfect or we're being a rebel, guess what? God is looking for us. And it's a long way off sometimes, but God sees us. Notice, sorry, I went too fast. Come back. Here's the heart of the passage. His father saw him. I just want us all to imagine this morning what do you think the father saw? When the father looks at you, what do you imagine him seeing? For some of us, this is where we get ourselves into trouble. We imagine that God sees us as a mistake. Or sometimes we think that God sees us as a rebel. Or God sees us as a prodigal. Or God sees us as a confused individual or that God just sees us broken and hurting but he really doesn't care what we need to see here this morning is that when God saw him we'll see this in just a little bit he had compassion he had love he had mercy but what God actually saw was his son and when God sees us he sees us as his sons and his daughters he sees us as his children that he created and that he loves deeply. His father saw him. If you're in the Bible, turn over to Psalm 121. I love reading Psalm 21 in a variety of situations because sometimes, sometimes we just don't get exactly what is going on. Psalm 121, sometimes we think that God, he stopped looking, he stops caring, he's no longer there for us. Psalm 121 says this, he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, where does my help come from? Verse 2 says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Then notice what it says, he says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And then he says something about Israel. And then he says in verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. That means he's your protector. It means he's looking out after you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So he's like a big tree and he's providing shade for you. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and he will keep your life. Notice verse 8. It says, <coughs> excuse me, it says the Lord will keep you. You're going out. And you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, God is watching you. And he's not watching you and saying, who cares? I hope he doesn't make that stupid mistake again. 
I really don't care which direction he decides to choose for his life. Just let it be. No, God is watching and he's watching intently because God wants to see us make the right choices that will honor and glorify him. Here's the second thing I want us to know. His father had compassion. The word compassion literally means to have pity, compassion. It means to to feel tenderness and love and concern for someone who is suffering and hurting and broken. I love this picture because it's saying that our Heavenly Father, when he looks at us, when we rebel, and again, I, I think we all are in a state of rebellion. We all try to do it our own way. We all try to consume. We all try to get from God. And when he sees us, he has compassion on our brokenness and on our pain and on our failure. You see, one of the things I've been trying to wrestle with in my mind over the last few days a little bit as I've been doing my own study in Scripture is that there is a difference between justice, mercy, and grace. You see, as the father watched and saw him come back, he could have given him justice. What did he deserve? Yes, he deserved no longer to be a son. He definitely didn't deserve a party. He definitely doesn't deserve an inheritance back. And he definitely, what he deserved was to be a servant. In fact, he deserved to get in the back of the line. That's justice. And God is just, but God is also merciful. What's mercy? Mercy is withholding the justice that we deserve. You see, our Father is merciful. He withholds the justice we deserve And if we know anything about what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he went and he died for our sins so that we could have mercy. We deserve to be on the cross dying for our sins. We deserve the death penalty. But in mercy, God withholds that justice. And in this situation, God is withholding the justice that the prodigal, the rebel, deserves. But what is grace? Giving us what we don't deserve. So in this compassion, we see mercy and grace. And the grace is he welcomes him back home. He restores his sonship. He restores the relationship. He restores his love for the son. Once again... For some of you maybe who have a prodigal, have a rebel, where's your heart at? Do you look at them through the eyes of compassion or do you look at them and say, you know, I love them, but they're really getting what they deserve? Do you cry out for God's mercy? Do you cry out for God's grace? Do you cry out for God's compassion? I love this line where it says, let us celebrate. When God looks at you, and do you see this most this morning? Whether you're a rebel or not, if you're in a relationship with God, God says, let's celebrate. I take delight in you. I rejoice in you. I'm glad in you. I look at you and I smile and I'm well pleased. Every week I end, when. May God bless us and may his face shine upon us. That is a sign that God is celebrating us. 
Do you see that? That God loves you. Here's what I'm asking all fathers to do today. I want you to look at your son and daughter and whether you have one, two, three, four, five, celebrate them all. Because each one of them is created by God in his image. And I have not yet met a son or a daughter that is not looking for their dad's blessing. Their dad to bless them, to celebrate them, to encourage them, to love them. Every dad needs to do that. It doesn't mean we don't speak truth, but it means that all of our children know that when they come to dad, guess what? He's going to lead with celebration. He's not going to lead with condemnation. So what does Jesus say to us this morning? He says three things. You need to see this. This is the character of God. Our Father loves us. Our Father watches us. And our Father embraces us. The picture that Jesus painted was unusual, it was odd, and maybe for us it doesn't seem unusual and odd. But in that culture, a father, especially a father who had a prodigal, but even for his older son, he wasn't going to do this. But to pull up his robe and to run and to embrace and to kiss and to hug his son is saying something totally, totally powerful. Our Father loves us. He watches over us and He embraces us. Dads, this is what it means to be a dad. This is what it means to be a dad. Love your children, watch over them, and embrace them. It's interesting, we redid the five love languages. I don't know if you've ever done that test as a family. We redid it and. Um, I don't know what's wrong with us as a family, but uh, physical touch is low on the list, um, probably because they don't have a great and warm and embracing father, I guess, but uh, um, that's low on all of ours. Um, but we're a family. We love quality time. We love words of affirmation. Um, we love gifts. We love those sort of things. We love serving each other, but for some reason, physical touch. And, and so sometimes you get to sort of joking, well, just don't touch me. Every person I meet wants to be touched. I don't care whether they're two or whether they're 99. All of us need physical touch. Dads, you need to learn to embrace. And one of the things I always saw my father-in-law doing with his adult children, when they came back home, my father-in-law was always rubbing their back. Rubbing him right there. And I remember the day he did it to me. I'm like, ah. I'm one of his children. Not just an in-law. I'm one of his children. Love them. Watch over them and embrace them. So how do we put an end to this? This is what you need to know. When your Heavenly Father looks at you, He sees you as His child. Created in His image. And he loves you deeply. Do not let 
whether it's your own voice, whether it's the voice of Satan, whether it's anybody's voice, your mom and dad's voice, don't let anybody's voice trick you. This is how your heavenly father sees you. You're his child. He loves you and he wants to embrace you.